What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, yes, you, the listener, through the podcast Patreon page that you can find by clicking the link in this episode's description. However, if supporting the podcast financially is not a possibility, that's totally fine too, especially if you are an Apple Podcast or iTunes listener, because you can leave the show a rating and a review. It's important with the way iTunes works, helps other people find the show, and helps the show continue to grow. So please leave a rating and review. Um, there's another option by Stitcher, which also allows you to do that. And uh, don't forget, there are other ways of listening to the show if you're not an Apple podcast or iTunes listener by heading on over to Google Play. Uh, like I said, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your podcast, the Chase Thomas podcast will be there. And lastly, I highly encourage you to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com to read me at Medium uh, and to follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Hopefully you're still with me because this is the end of me rambling. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Dan Favalli is back of Bleacher Report and NBA Math. Dan, it's Wednesday night. We're both tired, but you know the NBA has like roughly, I believe, seventy three thousand different narratives going on right <laughs> now that are. Uh, just incredibly fascinating, but we can't we can't touch on everything. And I feel like I've talked about the Cavs ad nauseum at this point, and I think I might do like a month off of just Cavs talk unless they do a major trade prior to the trade deadline. But I wouldn't qualify a George Hill deal as a major trade. But so I'm avoiding Cavs talk for as long as humanly possible. And <laughs> you know, the one thing though that I'm actually kind of surprised about with the NBA right now is no Lavar Ball talk in a couple weeks. He's fallen off the map after the whole Luke Walton kerfuffle that was going on a few weeks ago. It seems like he's fallen back off the map. And now that I said that, something's going to break as we're talking about it. But yeah, I, I, I'm happy to not talk about that. And I'm going to avoid Cavs talk because everything has been said. Their defense is not good. It's historically bad. They're at Sacramento Kings level bad. And we don't know. And it's just until they do something, I don't think there's much else to say about them yeah it's i mean it's kind of just the same old story with them but i i think there's more to say about them but it gets exhausting because it feels like we do the same dance every single january around this time and then they end up being fine for the eastern conference playoffs only to then fall behind in the nba finals to a much superior team with the warriors and i kind of still feel like that's where this is headed but i'm with you i'm I'm monitoring what they're going to do with the trade deadline and acquiring george hill they can do that. That's fine. He has a seven foot wingspan. I'm all for it. But like that can't be the only thing you do if you're trying to remedy your your defensive woes. And the, the LeVar Ball thing you brought up is interesting because I've been wondering like to myself whether the league through back channels or indirectly has like discouraged uh, coverage of LeVar Ball in some way because he said the stuff about Luke Walton and then like like you said essentially disappeared from from the scope of of NBA talk, at least for now. So I'm interested to see uh, if he does pop back up or if he doesn't, you have to imagine that the league might've had something to do with it and stepped in somehow, somewhere. Which would be something I greatly oppose is that the league's reaction, specifically Rick Carlisle and other coaches kind of like wanting to strip credentials of reporters who talk to LeVar Ball and, that kind of stuff was just, for lack of a better word, gross to me because he is a he, like no matter what you feel about Levar Ball, him openly at a, like your star player openly his father openly questioning the coach is a story and talking to him people just for right now I don't think Levar Ball is going to be a big story five years from now but avoiding him 
and pretending like he doesn't exist or pretending that he's not news or that people aren't interested in what he has to say about certain guys is ridiculous. And Ben Golliver had that kind of point on uh, open floor a few weeks ago. And I agreed with it. And I think that the way he summarized it was probably the best way of like, look, you can't avoid this right now, but these coaches being upset about LeVar Ball getting uh, a lot of airtime and him talking about Luke Walton and all this, the answer is not to silence them and then to take it out on reporters and remove credentials. And like, if you talk LeVar, you're gone. And that kind of censorship is just the wrong way of going about it. And, you know, he's not going to be a big deal forever. And eventually he will fade because that's just how it works. And our attention span is just very short in this country. And I think just as humans in general, and we'll move on to something else. And Lonzo will get older. He'll be on his own but whatever this see i've already ruined this by talking a lot about lavar ball and after just talking about him not being a whole thing but you know what that was just something that's been on my mind the last couple weeks is and i think it's been as you pointed out it's kind of been interesting for both of us to notice that since that whole situation uh kind of seemed like it was going to spin out of control it didn't and I mean, Jeannie Buss came out and said he's going to be Luke Walton is going to be back next year and all this stuff. So it just seems like something was said in the back channels or something did change with uh, the LeVar Ball, Luke Walton situation that we are not privy to. But maybe one day Woj or someone else <laughs> will break the story as to, or my guy, Yovan, who is very much in the ball family circle. So who knows? We'll figure it out at some point, perhaps. But yeah, I'm with you. But what I think is more interesting right now, and I, I don't, I hope a lot of other podcasts so have not talked about this, and it's something that I think is interesting is like who in the West and who in the East prior to the trade in line fascinates me the most, and a team that you're very familiar with, the Spurs are the team that's most fascinating to me in the West, especially with this Kawhi stuff that I just think continues to get more and more interesting, and then the East, I just the Magic are so fascinating because I think Frank Vogel is eventually going to get fired and then they're going to go through like their new front office has no ties to a lot of these players and Jonathan Isaac can't get his teammates to come listen to him preach on Sunday. Like there is so much weird stuff going on with both of these teams right now. And I am very much interested in what both of these teams decided to do the deadline because Tony Parker also, I feel like this didn't get enough attention got benched and it looks like he's his days as being a starting point guard in San Antonio are just over and DeJounte Murray was amazing last night and I think he's going to be really good for them and it's going to work out but I just it's those two teams specifically interest me the most right now what about you yeah the Spurs definitely the Magic are less interesting to me uh, before we get in depth with them just because a lot of the pieces you would like to see moved like they just you know who wants Evan Fournier and I want Evan Fournier. Okay, so we're gonna go ahead and put stop this slander because he Evan. I've been on Evan Fournier Island for about seven years now. It's, back with the Nuggets when he wasn't like that whole Aaron Follow versus Evan Fournier argument. I remember that being here for Fournier. Loved his size. I was like, if I had to find my two guard in today's NBA, who if I can't have a star like Clay or James Harden, I want the three and D menace like Evan Fournier, and that's who I want. So yeah, no Fournier I'm here for. Here's my point, though, is he's probably their best trade asset outside of Aaron Gordon or Jonathan Isaac, neither of whom I think they would consider moving. Um, It's just that he's making uh, he's at fifty one million dollars over the next three years after this season. That's a lot of money to pay for a guy who really shouldn't even be your number two option. And we've seen that with the with the magic specifically. And that's what kind of rubs me the wrong way. He's he's been super efficient from the field this year. I believe he's posting the third highest effective field goal rate of his career and shooting almost 39% um, from three, which is all good. He can be a a pretty good passer. He's decent out of the pick and roll. He's not, you know, he's eh, defensively. Would you rather have him or Tim Hardaway Jr.? I'd rather have Evan Fournier. I will say that. But if that's your best trade asset, like I just don't know. To me, it almost seems like the Magic will kind of kick the can uh, over to the offseason because they know they're not going to get much for him now. And then that's when they'll kind of reset and look and say are we willing to just give him away for salary cap relief are we willing to take on a contract that's even worse so that we can get some prospect or first round compensation for it i just don't think they're going to make any of these meaningful decisions right now even alfred payton who you should ostensibly trade because 
there's you shouldn't be paying him. He's been terrible defensively. He's regressed. I, I feel like I watched him as a rookie and I thought he was good defensively. And maybe I was just too young then or naive. And, and it just feels like he's gotten worse on the defensive end. And yet, why are you just going to give him away? Why don't you just see how much he'll cost um, going into restricted free agency? Maybe he signs his qualifying offer. Maybe he doesn't cost you much and is on a tradable contract. And that's why my, my expectations for them are just sort of tempered because they could be super intriguing, but I don't think any of their pieces are intriguing enough to compel them to be super active, if that makes any sense. It does. But I just think they just feel like they're waiting to make like 19 different moves. And I don't know if you can wait till the offseason to offload a lot of these contracts and kind of re- hit the reset button like they just they need to. Like Vucevic who's been injured a lot recently and got off that super hot start. And you mentioned Peyton. Peyton is in that Rubio zone for me where I think he's one of those guys who will be appreciated a lot once he kind of gets older and finds that third guard role, kind of like what Spencer Dinwiddie is in Brooklyn and kind of like, I mean, Jeremy Lin was doing that in Charlotte next to Kimba. And it's just, I think he's one of those point guards that is just meant to play in the Sean Livingston role the per like Sean Livingston has found himself in the perfect role and he got paid and he's just the perfect alternative when Steph's out and you know there's value in that especially with a lot of contenders so I think like if you put Alfred Payton as the backup uh, guard in just like Cleveland or something I think he is really good for that second unit I think he's one of those guys who should just dominate second units and run um, contender second units specifically and I don't know when he's going to get there. Cause he's still like only like 23, but I, I, he's not a starting point guard in this league. I don't think Rubio is either, but I, that doesn't mean I don't think they're valuable players and they do a lot of different stuff that I think has more value as a third guard versus a starter. But Fournier, I just, I keep going back to the Wiggins for Fournier package oh, that uh, I would 100% do if I was Minnesota and that's going to enrage Minnesota fans, but I'm not the biggest Wiggins person in that. You know, it hurts me, but I don't think he's ever going to get there. And if I had to choose between driving myself insane, watching Andrew Wiggins and waiting for those 40 point nights that he had a couple nights ago, become more closer to the norm. I just, I'd rather believe in what Fournier can be for the next couple of years than what Wiggins will never be. And I don't know. I, I think Fournier would be really good for them, but I, I don't think they would ever do the Wiggins stuff. And obviously that super max that's coming in for him, but Aaron Gordon I just, he's still 22, but I just, I would hit the full reset if I'm uh, Orlando and the only person really on this roster that I would really think about keeping is Isaac and everybody else. Like, I don't know. I want to send Spates and Hazonia to Golden State. There is a way of sending them to Golden State and getting Nick Young and JaVale McGee back so that their tanking is at least fun down the stretch this year. DJ Augustine, I think, has value as a backup point guard. He's shooting 40% from three. Terrence Ross, I think, has a lot of value as a backup guard. And then you have Jonathan Simmons, who you just paid, who's 28. And, you know, he leads the team in minutes. He's someone that a contender could rely on, but he's not shooting well. He's shooting 31%. But if you put him on a team that uh, has a lot better talent around him, I think he looks a lot better. And I just, up and down this list, I just think this Orlando team has to start offloading some of these guys because contenders could use a lot of them cleveland would love to have someone like aaron gordon or evan fournier like imagine putting evan fournier in there instead of jr smith to close games like that's a huge upgrade right now for them and i don't know if they'll ever get there but i just i want to see a lot of these guys on different teams because i think a lot of them would just look a lot better on better teams oh you're no doubt right and again it's with fournier you could throw him on cleveland and he's you know a spectacular number three option but do you want to pay your number three option 17 million dollars a year especially if you're cleveland when you don't know if lebron's coming back i do think i'll say this they're they'd be so much more interesting to me if some of their best trade assets weren't injured like terrence ross yeah that contract is still pretty good but he hasn't played uh, since november because he's dealing with a major knee injury nikola yeah. uh, vucevic uh he's suffered that hand injury hasn't played since the end of december so now all of a sudden you have these guys who are in good contracts but you can't command anything for them because they're not playing and they're, it doesn't look like either of them are going to return uh, anytime soon. Uh, it, it would be interesting to see them. I'm all for them tanking, and I, I think it would be smart of them to try and uh, clear their decks a little bit. You're not going to get rid of Bismack Biombo, and maybe you're not even getting rid of Evan Fournier right now, but can you do like kind of a small deal? And one of the things I had thought of 
was actually talking about this yesterday is can you send Terrence Ross and Alfred Payton to the Suns, get back Alvin Williams, non-guaranteed contract next year, you could just waive him. You get back Troy Daniels, who's making peanuts and shooting 40-plus percent from three, and then you can get a second-round pick. And they have a bunch of good second-round picks. So you make that trade. You don't have to pay Peyton. You get off of the uh, final year of Terrence Ross's contract, and, and you're just a little bit leaner moving forward. And it's easier to tank because Terrence Ross is a guy who's probably going to help you win not a ton of basketball games but a couple. And maybe those are the smaller-scale moves that you make. You can probably do something similar with Vucevic, if not this season, perhaps over the summer when he's an expiring contract. And Evan Fournier, I think there's a, a huge list of teams where he would be super interesting. You know, you talk about the Cavs. The, it would be funny to talk about a Wiggins for Fournier swap once Wiggins' uh, extension kicks in over the summer and it's easier to make the money match. Um, but, but even on teams like Utah, he would be great if they were willing to give up Rubio and Favors and Orlando just wanted to, to get money off. Uh, th- those are good situations. He'd be fantastic in New Orleans, but they don't have anything near uh, what the Magic would want, not even in terms of salary relief, really. The Miami Heat, they could really use um, someone like him. So there are teams out there. I just It's so hard to find a workable deal because you have to give up. The Magic either have to be willing to take back something bad or you have to give up someone of value because he's making so much. And, and that's just really where it falls flat for the Magic with me. But if Ross and Vucevic were healthy, you mentioned the Jonathan Simmons contract is, is spectacular. They could certainly move him. Um, it's ironic because the Spurs could really use him now with Kawhi Leonard uh, shut down. Uh, so th- there are stuff that they normally could do, but th- the injuries to, to the roster, including to Isaac, I think that's kind of torpedoed their trade deadline appeal for me. But if they end up moving Fournier, you can color me mistaken. Yeah, I, I'm going to be really fascinated to see what they do with Fournier. And, you know, maybe they call Portland and see if Portland's interested, like, for an Aaron Gordon and Fournier package for CJ McCollum or something. I, I think that would actually make Portland a lot more interesting if they were able to turn McCollum and then just kind of go with a... I, th- I don't know. I think Fournier would be a better fit next to Lillard anyway, uh, especially defensively. And then the to have Aaron Gordon as a wild card four for them would be a lot more fun. But... Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. And you brought up the Spurs, and we the Spurs, as I said, they're the most interesting team in the West for me prior to the trade deadline. I don't I don't know where to stand on the Kawhi rumors. I <laughs> I like Jalen. I don't believe that Jalen. I, I after reading the quotes and just like I remember just seeing on Real GM report Kawhi Leonard wants a trade, and then just clicking on it and seeing Jalen was just talking about it. Was it on? I don't think it was on Jalen Jacoby. It was just like on maybe the Jump or something Sports Center. I don't know what it was, but just the quote just sounded kind of ambiguous and just didn't seem like it came straight from Kawhi. And the Kawhi stuff, I just the idea of them trading someone as good as Kawhi Leonard just. I, I can't get there and would be incredible to me. But LaMarcus Aldridge is an all-star and it's played really well for them this year and is just a really good player. Pau Gasol is still playing really well. They have so many different guys that just work, but they're still playing guys like Brandon Paul and Forbes and stuff like that. And do they try and go for it if Kawhi never gets right this year? And it's a very strong possibility that he's never right. So then what do you do? Do you try? And this is, I think the most interesting part is, I think I would try and move Danny Green because it seems like he's someone that is a representative of a different era for them. And I think it might be time to go for someone like Fournier there or Jonathan Simmons at that two spot. But uh, yeah, I think they're, they're an interesting team. I mean, Kyle Anderson's contracts up at the end of the year, what are they going to do with him? And then, I mean, you just paid Patty Mills and then Tony Parker, his contract up in the end of the year and he's making 15 mil. Like, can they realistically try and keep a, four-man lineup of Manu, Murray, and uh, Parker, and Patty for the rest of the year? I don't know. I mean, you still got Kyle Anderson in there, too. I just, I think they're going to have to make some very difficult decisions prior to the deadline as well, and they're not characteristically a team that's super active at the deadline, but I think this year specifically, they, they're in a weird spot because they're a top-four team, and they're going to be a top-four team in the West, but if Kawhi is never right, like, should they sell high on someone like LaMarcus? But 
I don't think they can after the conversations that he's had with pop and him already telling him to trade me. And then they changed the relationship and it seems like everything's great there. And you know, like what does Tony Parker potentially fetch? He has not been good and has not gotten right. But like, if he's not cool with moving to the binge roll or pop is not sure how this all works or does Tony Parker resign this off season for significantly less and kind of transition to like a Manu type role within the team after Manny retires, maybe after this year. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting question marks I have with the Spurs that they are paying a lot of money to <laughs> LaMarcus Aldridge and Tony Parker and Pau Gasol this year. And I just, I don't know. I think they have to do some sort of salary cap adjustment at some point and then not too distant future. And I, I think Danny Green would actually help a lot of other teams too. And if they could get younger on the perimeter, I think that would be better for them. I agree that they're going to have some tough decisions to make, but they're, and why they're so interesting is because it's so tough to kind of decipher everything about them. And yet I I think you can make a case that they need to be active at the trade deadline. I would not trade Danny Green just because he's essentially, even though he's played elsewhere, like he's a Spurs lifer and he's a player option for 10 million. And what we know about the way the Spurs operate, like I could see him exercising that, which is probably market to below market value for it. Or if he declines, I could see him coming back at noticeably less over a longer period of time. And he's still so important to what they do defensively that I think it would be a mistake to move him, especially when you don't have alternatives outside of Kawhi Leonard on the wings. You don't know what Kyle Anderson is going to cost this summer. He's he's only started playing regular rotation minutes this year. So Danny Green would be a no move for me. The Spurs moving in general, though, is tough to imagine. The last midseason trade they made was Nando DiColo for Austin Day in February of 2014. That's the last midseason trade they made, which is just what a blockbuster that was. Right, uh, that'll that'll go down in history as one of the biggest trades ever. And yet, you talk about Kawhi Leonard being out. Now would be an interesting time to you know, can you pick up a a low cost flyer? And by that, I mean it would be. I would love to see them get involved in Kemba Walker trade negotiations. I think they're they can cobble together a somewhat nice package. You build it around Rudy Gay. Is cheap salary. You have Javante Murray. You give up this year's first round pick. You have seconds. You have Derek White, Brent Forbes. I think there's a package there that could intrigue um, the Hornets if they're not hell bent on hey we have to get off Nicholas Batum or Marvin Williams in in any deal. If it's Michael Kidd Gilchrist, maybe there'd still be a workable deal there for the Spurs. But something on a smaller scale like Tyreek Evans in Memphis. Can you give up Derek White in a second and get him out of Memphis? Um, can you get Avery Bradley has kind of just tanked away in, in Detroit. He's been a disappointment. Would they be interested in flipping him for anything at this point so that they don't have to pay his next contract? Those would be the moves to me that I think they should target, um, failing something on the Kemba Walker front, just because based off what they did last summer and the the extension they gave LaMarcus Aldridge and the contract they set, they signed Pau Gasol to, they don't seem to be planning on doing anything major until the summer of 2019. That's when Pau Gasol enters the last year of his deal and is only on a partial guaranteed contract. I think it's like $6.7 million. That's going to be an asset on the trade market leading into the summer. Kawhi Leonard will have a player option that year. Uh, he'll be a free agent. LaMarcus Aldridge will be, a year, will be entering the penultimate year of his contract. We don't know what contract Danny Green will be on, but Rudy Gay will certainly be off the books by then. And some of the, these concerns that you have, I do think can wait. Tony Parker He'll him and if Manu Ginobili returns, I think Ginobili signed through for two point five million next season. Parker will probably be on the same deal. And to me, it seems like the Spurs will spend the rest of this year figuring out what they might have in these ancillary pieces. You look at um, they've already tested out Bryn Forbes a bunch. They're giving Kyle Anderson major minutes, and now the Javante Murray switch is interesting because he has the best net rating on the team among if you want to call him an everyday rotation player. Um, but their offense has been overall statistically terrible when he's on the floor and to give the reins to him, um, now when you're still in the race for a number three seed, uh, it, it is just a decision that says, Hey, we don't necessarily care about the immediate picture. We know we're going to be there. We're, we're thinking about the big picture. And I think that's what the rest of this season will be about for them. Uh, I'm still interested because I feel like there's an outside chance they could do something because you don't know when. Kawhi Leonard is coming back and you still want to remain relevant in this race, but it it seems like they're trying to evaluate some things against the future between now and 2019 more than they are in a rush to make any major decisions about the roster right now. I have two trades for you then. 
I'm ready. They both they they both work on Trade Machine, and they're they both specifically involve the Spurs. You brought up the the Hornets. I don't think Kimba Walker is on the market anymore. Isn't after that weird backdoor conversation he had with Michael? That I like. I'm calling him Michael, like we're on a first <laughs> name basis. But you know, he, they had a conversation, and apparently, like he's no longer on the trade market so oh he's on the, way to he's, run the organization yeah he's on the mm-hmm. trade market that's like i i just felt you can't go back and forth like that that is an atrocious that, look. that's cl- i don't know that's classic owner speak to me is just like oh we're not going to trade him so you try and drive up the value of offers or maybe he was on the trade market and the offers that were rolling in weren't what they wanted so they pulled it but kemba walker just the the hornets have no cap space in the coming years and he's going to be do a fat raise in 2019 there's no viable way for them to noticeably improve this team over the next few years. He he's he's on the trade market. I fully believe that. Well, there's only t- one way for this team to like make a huge jump, and it's their two lottery picks of the last couple of years to break out. And it's that like I guess you could say three if you really are still a MKG believer. But it's whatever Malik Monk turns out to be, who's been and Frank Kaminsky yeah. figuring it out. And I don't think either of those I would bet on at this point. Uh, first trade though. And I think you threw out MKG. This trade works. I mean, it, it's very mean to send Tony Parker and Danny Green to Charlotte in this deal, but they get the Spurs get back MKG, Jeremy Lamb, and Dwayne Bacon. Would you do that for the Spurs? They get back MKG and Dwayne Bacon for Danny Green and and Jeremy Lamb. I just uh, I don't think the Spurs would do it because I don't think there's a chance in hell they trade Parker. I go back and forth because I think Danny Green is a lot better than MKG right now, and he's better than Jeremy Lamb. So you're essentially giving up the best player in this deal for two spare parts, and Lamb helps you offensively, MKG helps you defensively. Uh, I just, if one of them was a two-way player, I, I would say yes, but I, I don't, I'm just not, I, I don't think if, if Kemba was a part of that deal and you're getting one of Lamb or MKG, then it makes a lot more sense. Um I just can't uh, that that deal doesn't do when they're giving up the best player in the trade that that doesn't do it for me. Well, Hollinger's analysis gave the Spurs six wins and the Hornets 10 losses for that deal. So who knows? I don't know. Jeremy Lamb, I think, has been really good for the Hornets. I've watched way too much Hornets this year, and I think he's sneaky good for them. But the uh, MKG stuff, I I really just want to see how him and Kawhi work next to each other. And what if Pop could get anything out of Michael kick go Chris at this point because he's still pretty young. So. He's a good defender too. He gets he struggles. Could he with- Bruce Bowen him? I guess that's my whole thing. Is like, could he have the Bruce Bowen effect on him where he ever figures out how to shoot corner threes and that's enough? Yeah, maybe. And also, Kenny, a uh, Bruce Bowen was really good. I feel like at defending much bigger players, and MKG has always kind of struggled there. But the Spurs would be the the place for him. And there's that you know they might be if you look at it this way. Uh, you have teams out there that seem to be looking for size. So if you like kind of expand the deal, like let's say the Bucks, they'd probably be willing to pay Pau Gasol. And he seems like someone the Spurs would be more willing oh. to move than Tony Parker. And Pau Gasol has been a heck of a rim protector. He's still a decent rebounder um, this season. If you give him to the Bucks and you're willing to swallow Toledovich and you're sending um, Charlotte, uh, you know, Rudy Gay and Javante Murray, maybe you can build a pick, uh, excuse me, a deal. Uh, where you're getting Kemba and you take back MKG, or maybe you could even take back Nicholas Batum. Could you imagine Batum on the Spurs? That contract is awful, but I feel like he'd be fantastic there. Batum is, he's difficult to read because he was so good on the contract year. And I always like Batum, especially going back to his Portland days, but I don't know what he is at this point, post injury and just kind of where he's at, at his age and everything else. I, if he ever got a shot back, I guess like the Spurs is the place to see like for that late career resurgence. But I just I don't know what to make of the team at this point in his career. I'm not sure. The other trade though, and this fulfills that uh, whole prophecy that Tony Parker was meant to finish his career and his post prime career in New York, <laughs> where uh, he almost went those years ago. So the Knicks get their Frank Nilakina, um, master who can help him and uh, help uh, get him to become the Tony Parker of the future. And Kyle Anderson, who's on the last year of his deal, he goes to the Knicks in this deal. And then the Knicks send back Courtney Lee, who should be sent to a contender before the deadline, and Doug McDermott, 
Do you do that if you're San Antonio? I think if the Spurs gave them this year's first rounder, I would do it just because you have to pay Kyle Anderson after this year. Um, the Knicks are probably the team who would pay for Kyle Anderson. They are employing Michael Beasley right now. They are employing yeah, I mean, uh, Jer- Jack, Trey Burke. They might be preparing to pay Doug McDermott too because he's been sneaky good. If you gave them, just because Courtney Lee's been so good and that contract is pretty reasonable um, and has two years left, if, if you could get them a first-round pick as part of that deal, it's definitely something I'd consider because you are, if you let Kyle Anderson go, um, you're technically saving money by getting Lee's deal off the books. You're still kind of, you, you know, stuck in place because you have Cantor and Noah um, on the ledger at the same time. But if you, if you, if the Spurs were willing to send their first round pick as part of that deal, um, I would certainly consider it. And I do think you probably identified the one, maybe there's a second team that you could trade Tony Parker to, and it doesn't sound ridiculous that the Spurs would actually do it. If you're the Lakers, would you give up Kuzma for Kawhi Leonard at this point, or would you hold off? Oh, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Yeah. That was me being um, funny or oh. trying to be funny. Because Kuzma last night, the behind-the-back pass to Larry Nance for the slam that had staples erupt. There was a really good piece on ESPN.com today about Kuzma's uh, rookie year and just Luke Walton like pulling him at certain times because they're so conscientious of him not becoming KCP or J.R. Smith 2.0 that they're like, if he's not playmaking or he's not playing defense, they'll just pull him for the rest of the game, even if he's shooting really well which I really like. And I think that's like maybe my favorite coaching uh, report that I've seen this year is just Luke Walton having no uh, restraint and pulling his best offensive player at times because he's not doing anything else. So like he's like Kuzma, you can tell in his quotes that he's having to think more about uh, getting more assists and getting more involved on defense and bringing the ball up more and driving and kicking and that kind of thing. Like I like that Walton is very, um, keen on ensuring that Kuzma does not um, learn too much from KCP in his year stint in uh, LA. I like it. I, I Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I think we've kind of seen it resonate with his playmaking. The defense is still an issue though. So they might even have to have a quicker hook with him if they're trying to teach him some sort of positive reinforcement there. He's still not good defensively, but again, he's a rookie. So if you see baby steps, then maybe that's all that matters. Yeah. And I still like his size and, there's a, I think it's easier to become a better defender than it is to become a really good offensive player. Like his, his stroke is so clean. And if he gets the playmaking down, I think there is, um, the upside to huge. I cannot believe Kuzma is this good, even in his rookie year. It's, it's pretty crazy, but we'll see. But I, I will say he's one of my favorite rookies to watch this year. Um, would you, ra- yeah, would you rather have Kuzma or Brandon Ingram long-term? Ooh, Kuzma. Wow. I just, I'm still on the Brandon Ingram train because of what I've already seen from him defensively. He's already a good playmaker, and it seems like he gets to his spots and just needs to learn to kind of control himself when he goes up to finish around the rim. I, I told his efficiency is definitely a major concern. But if he wasn't getting to his spot seemingly on command, I, I might be inclined to go Kuzma. But with the flashes I've seen from him defensively and what he can already do as a as a playmaker, I'm I'm still all in on him. Probably close. It kind of reminds me of the Jalen um, Brown versus Jason Tatum situation, where like Tatum burst on the scene is just so good from three, and he's just such a dynamic offensive player that everyone's kind of falling in love with him. But then Brandon Ingram's been around. Brown's been around. They're already a better defender, but you're just not sure what they're going to get to offensively. I I don't know. I think it. I think there's a lot of parallels between the Ingram Kuzma stuff and the uh, Tatum Brown stuff. Who would, especially after watching him last night. Yeah, who would you go with for Brown Tatum too? Uh, Tatum. That's actually less difficult than um, Ingram. I'm higher on Ingram than I am Brown, so I would say. And I like Jalen Brown a lot, but I think Jalen Brown of those four is the easiest to replace. Really? I I kind of feel like the Tatum-Brown debate is tougher for me for some reason. Jalen Brown showing a lot more ability to create his own offense this year, which leads me to believe that he'll eventually become a better passer, and he's already so valuable defensively. But 
I think you have to appreciate what Tatum can do defensively already as well. That This debate is tougher for me than the Kuzma-Brandon Ingram one. I don't even think I have a choice or a decision yet. And you're putting me on the spot to make these hard choices. I think I might go Jalen Brown, to be honest with you. Like, I just, I know Jason Tatum's been super efficient, but he's kind of, he's hit the rookie wall of late. Um, we've seen that, I mean, it's, it's just so even. When you look at their numbers, when neither of them play with Al Horford and Kyrie Irving, it's the same story. They both post individual, like, shooting percentages that are adequate, but the team has more of a defensive identity and can't figure out how to score on offense. And if you're asking me who I think would turn into the better, like, from-scratch offensive hub, I, I might just be a little bit inclined to go with Jalen Brown right now. I know what Tatum can do on pull-ups, but we've seen Brown kind of make this this leap, and he's I, – I, I don't – there's something about him. And even now that his three-point shot is falling still from the corners – and then the de- the defensive versatility, I think it comes back to that for me too, is I think he makes Kyrie Irving's job a lot easier and even Jason Tatum's job a lot easier as well. And I don't know if you remove him from the situation, whether either one of them comes off as uh, rosy colored on the less glamorous end as they are right now. Well, I guess, but I just, Tatum's shooting 45% from three. He leads the team in minutes. As a rookie, which I think is kind of insane for the best team in the East to you're a rookie like Tatum, the number three pick to lead the team in minutes is kind of amazing. And like you said, he has hit the rookie wall a little bit, but he still gets to the line a lot and he's shooting 81% from there. And Jalen Brown's a terrible free throw shooter still. I think he's what, like around 53%. I don't know. I, I'm just not there. I like Jalen Brown, but I think I would be much more comfortable finding a Jalen Brown replacement than I would be a Jason Tatum. I think the Jason Tatums of the world are a, a lot more difficult to find. I, there might not be a wrong answer. I just, I even just looked it up while you were talking because I was trying to, I feel like it's been a while since I saw him really get hot, Tatum, and he's shooting 28.6% from three over his last 11 games since Christmas. Ooh. So that's a... Uh, Huh. Yeah. So what was he shooting before Christmas from three? 93%? Because he's still at 45, even with this wall. Um, If you look at those past games up until Christmas, he was shooting 50% from three even. <sighs> I don't know. He still has a 61% true shooting for the year. And the one thing, though, that, to your point, is his usage rate is so slim. For, he's not asked to do a lot on this offense. Like, it's a 17% usage rate, which is... um in contrast to Kyrie Irving, whose usage rate is Russell Westbrookian at 31%. It's just his role is not huge yet. So we'll have to see what his uh, three-point percentage is when he's asked to do a lot more in this offense. But as of right now, I think Tatum is the right answer. But you know what? I like them both, and they're both probably in the long-term plans for Boston. I'm going to enjoy watching them play together for a long time. So we don't have to like hate one in pick side no they're they're fantastic and we know celtics fans won't give up either of them in exchange for anthony davis or Giannis Antetokounmpo or or anybody we name they wouldn't trade them for anybody <laughs> along with terry rozier the untouchables the untouchables i like it it's gonna be in that'll be an interesting remake but and i don't think i ever actually saw the original did you see the original the untouchables i feel like it was too long and i started it at one point I, years ago and i never watched it. i am like the worst movie buff ever i even the movies i really want to see i just wait until they're out and buy them because i can never find time to go to the movies i haven't seen any of the untouchables uh you could name like popular like movies and not, there's a, probably a good to great chance i haven't seen them so i'd be the wrong person to ask okay well thankfully this is a basketball podcast and not a uh, <clears throat> a movie review podcast that's shout out to danny well one day we'll be going back to that but uh yeah we'll we'll have to see what happens there do you think jay you mentioned Giannis, and it has me thinking about jason kidd do you think he gets another head coaching job because he's had two now i i could see him moving to broadcasting he, for a while yeah unless he's willing to like kind of put in his dues and, and join the assistant ranks now yeah uh, i don't i don't see it happening because he's not He's not a good coach. He couldn't help the Nets locker room when he was there. He left amid that power struggle, and then he kind of wins over the Bucks, and it looked like ownership loved him, and all of a sudden they didn't. And he is he's basically lived off of that one, I believe it was 2014-2015 season with the Bucks, where they were second in defensive efficiency, and then never essentially deviated from that hyper-aggressive defensive approach, and the Bucks haven't even ranked in the top 15 of points allowed per 100 possessions since so he's just he's stubborn and he tries to 
he tries to outsmart everyone. Like the whole four point play stuff. Like you're missing a free throw to prevent to like try and make it harder for a team to get a four point play. Like that just makes zero sense. So um, I don't think I don't want to say he'll never coach in the NBA again because uh, crazier things have happened. Like the Cavaliers paying Mike Brown like twice. Uh, or him getting paid by three teams at the same time or something crazy like that. It's just he would have to work his way uh, back up through the ranks for him to even have a, a remote chance in my mind of being an, a head coach again. It kind of reminds me of the Derek Fisher situation where Derek is just gone. Like, it, he, it w- would it really be surprising if he never got a head coaching job again? There's no way. I wonder. Is it different? I, I actually agree with you because there's, like, Derek Fisher's not going to coach in the NBA again, but it kind of, he was only given his head coaching job because he was, like, a, a Phil Jackson second favorite and Steve Kerr uh, was smart and, and went to the Warriors. Um, Jason Kidd at least seemed to have, like, some real clout around the NBA, but I'm wondering if he squandered that. I don't know that anyone ever thought Derek Fisher was going to be like a good coach. I think it was more, we didn't really know. So we, there was nothing to go off of with him, but I think kid, the best case scenario is he goes the Brian Shaw route where it's kind of humbling what happened here. And then he just goes and tries and get on as like an associate head coach where he can just work under someone and really, relearn the ropes and that kind of thing i I don't know what he ultimately does but it would not surprise me if he's on a uh he moves to broadcasting or some sort of media role uh for a while then he can take pot shots at the bucks uh like mark jackson used to with the warriors yeah i i I just i wouldn't i would not be surprised if he's not on the sidelines for a long time how did you feel about i'm sure you saw those quotes what he basically said that Giannis attentacumpo told them on the phone how did you how did you feel about him just letting everyone know that Atentacumpo offered to beg to save his job, essentially? I think that's probably one of those where clearly they had a good relationship. I would say he you know I don't know that stuff is difficult because I wonder if Giannis was upset about it that he aired that out. And I guess that's something he'll probably never reveal because Giannis is pretty quiet about that kind of stuff and he doesn't really open up a lot he's pretty media savvy for the kind of star he is and we don't really know a lot about him and I don't know if he'd really open up like that um I believe he did say earlier before we recorded this that he felt uncomfortable that parts of the kid conversation were made public Hmm. and I probably I mean I was uncomfortable that Jason Kidd gave that interview I, I just like Talk about torching bridges on the way out. You're essentially letting the world know that by default, Giannis and the Bucks' front office are at odds on something fairly substantive. I don't know if it's that serious. I think it's just like one of those situations where the franchise player liked Jason Kidd being around for the last two years and didn't want his coach to get fired. And I think it's like one of those things where if you're the team's best player and your coach gets fired, it's kind of an indictment on you, even if it's not. Or it feels like that because you underachieved. That's why the coach is getting fired. The team's not doing as well as management had expected. So in some way, I think if you're a star player and you know you're a star player, that's going to bother you. And you're going to want to do whatever you can to help that guy out because it's just it feels like you're responsible for them losing their job. You know what I mean? Where I can understand why Giannis wanted to help him get his job. I don't think kids should have made that public, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's a lot more common behind the scenes than we realize. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. Giannis, I, I, he doesn't seem like this type of person. He's not LeBron, but maybe he was also just giving kid the big to-do on the way out, just sort of this ceremonial, oh, I'll, I'll try and help you stay, knowing that the front office wouldn't even listen to him anyway. I don't think that, I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I would lean the other way on that. But we'll see. I'm excited to see who they hire. I think they have a lot of good enticing choices and I hope they go outside the box kind of and, and go with some like Silas from Charlotte who I like a lot, or, you know, David Fisdale is now available. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting options that they can go. Could they be the team that finally gets a tour Messina out of San Antonio? I feel like he's been linked to every possible head coaching job for the last million years. Uh, I think they're going to lose somebody. The Spurs, specifically are going to lose at least one of these assistants, right? Because they have James Borrego, who was pretty good in Orlando during that interim stint. I think he's pro- I think Kevin Artevitz mentioned him as a candidate. 
And it would not be a bad idea to get one of the Spurs assistants to work with Giannis. Everybody <laughs> loves just, everyone around the league loves Becky Hammond too. Yeah. I like that. Um, how long has she been an assistant though? Is it two years? I think this is years? her third season with them, I believe. Okay. Maybe it might be her second official one because I know she was like around the team in an unofficial capacity for a little bit. Yeah, that's that would be interesting. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I'm very interested. Somehow Dave Yeager is not popping up on the hot seat anywhere with a team that his coaching, they're 30th as of right now in offensive and defensive efficiency. That's impressively bad though. Right? Like, why is he not getting talked about more for just being terrible? I don't understand. He plays Zach Randolph at the four still, and Zach Randolph still plays way too much for that team. They never, like, whenever I watch the Kings, Scala BCA and Willie Colley Stein are not playing together very often. De'Aaron Fox, I'm not sure, is starting and hasn't played, like, a bunch of minutes. Garrett Temple's getting a bunch of shots and his usage rate's hot. Like, that team... I, I just... The Kings fans are so awesome, and whenever you watch a home game, it's still packed. Those fans care, and shout out to James Ham and Greg and all those guys because, you know, I don't know how you just like this. It's just the Kings are just so bad. It's and it, it's and they added a bunch of veterans. It did nothing. They're somehow worse. That's the other thing, though, is like what was he supposed? You gave him all these veterans, and he's done a better job lately. They even have like they're benching certain veterans on certain nights. It looks like they're going to trade George Hill, but that that seems this team like the result and the inconsistency of the rotation it seemed like Jaeger was just struggling to keep everybody happy because yes yes Randolph and Carter and and at least Hill should have known it there are reports that like he was upset the Kings weren't contending for a playoff spot but he should they they joined the roster kind of knowing they weren't going to compete and that they were just being overpaid at the same time you probably feel an obligation to play them and yet you have all these youngsters and a, a million of them are bigs and it seemed like a while he was just you know, yes, he was relying on veterans, especially too much during crunch time, like let De'Aaron Fox get those reps and everything. But at the same time, it also felt like he was trying to do the right thing by I have to balance all this playing time because we have these veterans, like a bunch of them too. Like you had Garrett Temple and Costa Kufos already, and then the team gave you Zach Randolph, George Hill, and Vince Carter. And now the that the Kings are officially terrible, uh, they can say, hey, we're going to bench some of these guys end the season and really roll with the youth so it's, t- it's tough for me to fault him as much as i would fault the front office but his coaching job this year if he had the freedom to build the rotation has as he sees fit and i'm going to assume that he did then yeah it's been pretty bad i'm gonna go ahead and say he sucks all right and there you it's go time to move on I, i'm done like this is just I, they've been over backwards to get him to sacramento because no one wanted that job but it's it's terrible. I wish they had not gone. I, I'm still the pro George Carl route there. I think if they had um, just traded Boogie before they brought in Carl and gotten a much better return and just gone. Like, can you imagine De'Aaron Fox playing in the system with Carl? Buddy Heald, this group, Willie Colley Stein just running, rim running like Clint Capella. Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is their most exciting player and has actually turned out to be a really good player. And I have my doubts. I guess it's because he's an older rookie. Let's see, 25, yeah. But he's shooting lights out from three, and he's really fun to watch. I love his drives. Like He's a really fun player to watch. But this team, you're not going to believe this, but a Dave Yeager coach team is 29th in three-point attempts, and they're, they've made 27%. I mean, uh, 27th out of 30th in the league in, in converting those. And they don't get to the line in their last in free-throw attempts. So their effective field goal percentage is 28th in the league, and their free-throw attempts per um, – <clears throat> Field goal attempt is 30th in the league. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising at all. I don't, they don't get to the line, and they can't shoot threes. And they don't shoot I don't threes. Think it's just, it, hasn't, it hasn't been a good coaching job. You're right. A bad team should. Scala BCA is playing 18 minutes a night, and he is their most intriguing young player, I think, on this roster. He's still 21. Like, I don't understand why he's not the focal point of this team. I, it's just, it's. T- I mean, he's playing. he's at least playing close to 25 minutes a game over his last 10 like there's the tide is shifting it took too long for the kings to get there and the style of play isn't fun to watch if you're a bad team you should be shooting a ton of threes to try and make up the variance in talent my, my just issue is like the front office gave him this mismatched roster and no clear directive because you could read it as oh the kings were trying to undergo this cultural change in which case having these veterans around to not really play and just mentor the young guys would make sense 
and yet you signed veterans who are expecting to play and you put it in his hands. It has not been a good coaching job by him, but it's just it's tough for me to be like, you need to fire Dave Yeager when the Kings gave him like this really crap situation without any clear directives. Well, they nailed the Justin Jackson and Giorgio Papianis pick. <laughs> just knocked it out of the park. And their their announcement for uh, Harry Giles the other day was hysterical. It, they took like 250 words to say that he wasn't going to play in the season without actually basically like they tried to say, oh, he's great and super healthy and doing awesome. We just we're not going to play him this year. Zach Randolph has a 27 percent usage rate on this team this year. Uh, again, it's it's egregious when you look at it that way. But, you know, he has now come out and said, like, veterans aren't going to play every night. It's the push and pull is. Would, did he have the freedom to not play these guys from the beginning and he was going against management or did the front office not really tell him what to do? And as a coach, you're obviously not trying to lose. Yes, it's your responsibility to develop the youth, but you also feel an obligation to a team that was basically stocked with half veterans. Like we're not talking about like he only had George Hill and was electing to play George Hill over De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. He had he has Zach Randolph and Costa Kufos and George Hill and Vince Carter and Garrett Temple. Like, there are just too many veterans on this team. Yeah. But, you know, they were trying to get that eight seed, and now they're, like, they're just, it's so bad when you see a team actually, like, sign a bunch of free agents and still be this terrible, and it just go this wrong. I feel bad, but at the same time, they doubled down the Vladi Divac era, and it's just, I, no. But, you know, you- maybe my dream of Sam Hinkie getting this GM job next is one step closer to coming to fruition. You, That's what I'm hoping for. Do you think that the Cavaliers can stave off the 29th ranked defense uh, in favor of the Kings? Like, do you think there's a chance that Sacramento ends up with a better defense by the end of the year than Cleveland? You know, we'll have to see if Jaeger goes back on his word of resting veterans and he brings them back in and gets uh, more minutes for Costa Kufus. And, you know, we'll see. What, and George Hill doesn't get traded and De'Aaron Fox makes the leap later in the year i don't know we'll have to see okay that's entirely too much kings talk but we were just talking about kid and i just i thought it was just kind of silly that we like kid gets all this talk and we're still not talking about dave yeager getting fired i just i don't understand how he's gonna keep his job after this year but whatever uh sacramento for sacramento fans last thing quickly i want to talk about though um rodney hood is maybe my favorite trade chip the deadline right now he is someone who is smacking phones out of people's hands and it's just he who looked like a really good player for this jazz team he was a high usage guy and he just worked really well with hayward and it just seemed like those two were going to be a really nice tandem down the line and just thinking of like if hayward didn't leave and just donovan mitchell rodney hood gordon hayward rudy gobert it's a really fun scary team but now it's just like Rodney Hood's kind of fallen out of favor and Donovan Mitchell's the story and, you know, I, Alec Burks is playing pretty well and they just, it seems like he's going to get moved because they're not going to pay him and it's just, I, I think he would be really good on a lot of other teams and, like, obviously the Cavs make a lot of sense as uh, if they could find a way to get him, but, like, the Spurs, if they were able to get on there with their history with Dennis Lindsay being in Utah and his history in San Antonio and like seeing if they could find something because like you throw Rodney Hood on the Spurs, who knows what he could turn into. But Rodney Hood, I just I love thinking about where he'd go because I still love him as a player. And I think he is someone that has now been undervalued because of the kind of season he's had in Utah. And it's just one of those years where everything went wrong. But you put him back on the right team. And he's very, very interesting again. And I don't know who that is. Who is that for you? Because there's a couple teams that I think would be awesome, but I don't know if they have the trade chips to bring him in. But yeah, who who do you think makes sense for Rodney Hood? Or do you even think he's a good player? I, I compared him a few years ago to uh, Chris Middleton. And yeah. I kind of think that comparison actually holds up now more than ever because we're seeing that... He can do a lot of things, but you don't want him as your number one or necessarily even number two option. Like Middleton can probably be a number two, and he's a better playmaker than Hood. Uh, but Rodney Hood's shot selection is still really bad, and he's kind of regressed as a passer. How much of that has to do with the fact that you have Rubio and Ingles and Donovan Mitchell? They can all run pick and rolls. Uh, but he just there are some nights where he just looks great, and other nights 
where his shot selection is terrible. He's throwing up these junky long twos. He's committing turnovers. He's not really trying on defense. But I still think if you, it's like you said, if you put him as the number three on a team like Middleton is now in Milwaukee, he's most likely going to shine. Uh, I don't know where he, it's so tough because when I look at Fitz, I'm like in the back of my head, it's, oh, the, his next team is going to have to pay him. And who wants to pay? It's, it's probably going to cost at least $12 million a year to get him unless the market craters again. And that's still kind of a lot of money to invest over a longer term uh, as someone, uh, someone you don't know what he's going to be. And he just still hasn't, like his ceiling hasn't been resolved. He's had some injury issues. And then you give him career high usage with, with the Jazz and their offense isn't that great when he's on the floor. You'd rather have Donovan Mitchell kind of triggering um, the half court sets. That being said, if if you could put him on like a, a team such as Atlanta or a team even like Miami, those would be super fun um, to watch. The Hawks will have cap space this summer. That I don't know that they would invest it in, in anyone. Um, the Heat won't have cap space. I don't know that they have the assets to trade for him, but depending on how low the Jazz are on him, you could probably send him somewhere. I don't know how realistically valuable he is on the trade market because he's going into restricted free agency yes you have his rights and you're able to match whatever another team throws at him but you're trading for someone knowing that his salary is essentially going to in his case it's gonna like i don't know go go up by like what if it goes up to like 14 million like and that's seven times what he's making now so it's tough to find that right fit cleveland would be really interesting as that like third or fourth guy on their team if they can get him as part of a deal with Derek Favors and maybe they're uh, a lot of jazz fans want Kevin Love on their team and Cleveland seems to hate Kevin Love inside the locker room. Um, but he would, uh, any of those three teams, I, I would like to see him there. He'd be interesting on the Bulls too. I just don't know what Chicago could give up for him, uh, but they need wings in Chicago and, and he would be an interesting fit alongside Laurie Markinen, Zach Levine and Chris Dunn moving forward. I like the Bulls for some reason with them. And I think him playing next to Levine and Dunn would be interesting. And like the Jazz have been would be interested in Miritich anyway. Like if you could find a way to build a deal that revolves around Hood and Miritich as the primary guys moving out, like I think that would be fascinating because Miritich has just been so good this year that they really need to sell high on him. And I like the idea of getting someone young who can, who still has a high ceiling, I think, in Chicago and still have Mark in and seeing what those two could do together. I think that would be fun. I would look, if I'm the Hawks, I would talk to the Jazz. I think they're the dark horse as someone like, what are you, like, find out what the Jazz think of Schroeder. How did, did Quinn like Schroeder when he was in Atlanta? See what they are thinking about Bazemore, Bellinelli. There are guys like even Torian Prince. See what they think of him. I would very much, uh, if I'm the Jazz, I think the best option might be Atlanta. Because Atlanta does have pieces. I don't think they're obviously going to give up a top two pick. And the Doncic era is quickly approaching. And when I'm getting my season tickets to the Hawks, <laughs> I get Luka Doncic. That uh, I, they can't give up that pick. But I do think the Hawks have a lot of appealing young pieces that might be interesting to the Jazz. Like, couldn't you see like the Jazz being intrigued by the idea of adding Shooter to place Hood and be that new six man for them, that third guard, um, to kind of give them a different punch off the bench, and then. I mean, who knows what Dante Exum is at this point, but if you were able to flip uh, Rodney Hood for Schroeder and like Bazemore or something, and obviously throw in like one of the expirings like Favors, who I think is, he played at Tech, so maybe he'll, he's fine going back there. But whatever you do, I, I think something like that would be fun. I think Rodney Hood would be really, really good in Bud's system too with the way the Hawks play. I think he's like the perfect fit as a two guard, and he wouldn't move the needle enough for the Hawks to like really fall out of um the top three in the lottery odds uh at this point i don't think hood is having that kind of year where it would be hugely detrimental and i'm just out on dennis Schroeder altogether and i think i blame nate duncan for this because he ruined him for me by comparing him to brandon knight on a recent <laughs> weeks ago and i can't get it out of my head and he's right on the money with that and i, I can't get over it and it's just it's unfortunate but also watching dennis Schroeder drive to the lane to lose to the suns a few weeks ago uh, when they were down three and three seconds left on the clock and he decided to drive and Budenholzer losing his mind on the sideline because Schroeder didn't realize how much time was on the clock. It was uh, not great. So yeah, that's, that's the end of my Hawks rant and why Rodney Hood would be great in Atlanta. Yeah, I think he would be good there. You certainly, I'm higher on Torian Prince than him. So I definitely wouldn't give him up. But if the, if the jazz actually like Schroeder, 
and they really like Bazemore, and they're not, and they're kind of thinking, well, we were going to have to pay Favors and Hood technically anyway, even if they walk. A Ricky Rubio, Derek Favors, Rodney Hood for Kent Bazemore, Dennis Schroeder package would be... And Joe Johnson reunion. I mean, you could throw... $10 million expiring, send him back. You could do that, but I think if I'm the Jazz, I'd probably want to get off Ricky Rubio in that deal instead. He has a year left on his deal after this one, and Schroeder's making a lot of money, just basically $15 million a year. And Ken Bazemore is making a ton of money over the um, final two years of his contract after this one. So I definitely want to get off Ricky Rubio, but you could, that would be certainly interesting. It would depend on how high the, the Jazz are in Schroeder. And I just go back and forth with him because he's really like an attack dog. Like he can just, he, he just gets through the heart of the defense um, so consistently. And I get a lot of it is the Hawks' spacing in some of their lineups is just phenomenal. Even the ones that aren't hitting threes, like they just space the floor and those lanes are semi-open. He takes some bad shots. He's kind of just, I guess he gradually improves as a playmaker, but it's never by leaps or bounds. But he's still just, he's still kind of interesting because you watch him and, and you could kind of see the silhouette of a good player in there. Like if you put him... If you made him into a drive-and-kick point guard and you could count on him to kick to the right player, he'd be super dangerous. He needs to pass on more of his drive still, but if someone can get through to him, and I, I wonder who that coach would be because Mike Bunholzer, I think, is a very good coach, or at least an innovative one, and if he hasn't really been able to get through to him or get him over the hump, I don't know who's going to want the final three years um, on his contract. I just I don't know if there's a scenario. like This is just such a great era of point guards. Like, what is the best scenario for him at this point? Does he get to, like, 24th best point guard in the league? Just think of how many good point guards there are right now. And I don't see him just getting anywhere near some of these guys. Like, especially just looking at the playoff picture in the East. Like, Goran Dragic, not better. Eric Bledsoe, not better. Um, Just Ben Simmons, obviously not better. Kyle Lowry, John Wall. I mean, even Reggie Jackson, I would take over Schroeder. And then you have K- the Kimbas of the world. And you have Kyrie. And then you have Spencer Dinwiddie somehow turning into a thing. And then the whatever, de- like, do we want to call Victor Oladipo a point guard? Like, Isaiah Thomas is still in these. Just thinking about, that's just the East. Like, where does Schroeder stack up with these guys? And I just, I don't see a scenario where he ever gets in that top 20. And if that's the case, then I just, I would not, I would want to get off that contract, especially in the kind of league that we're in, just having an average point guard like that, or even slightly below average point guard in comparison to the rest of the league is just not worth investing in like that. So if they find a good deal, I would move Schroeder. Yeah, I just, I don't even know if the one's out there. And even we're talking about the Jazz, if you could get off Rubio, it's something to consider, but their experience with Rubio might be the impetus behind them rejecting such a deal because Schroeder's on the books for uh, two additional seasons after Rubio. And you, you just might not want to go through the same thing where you thought you were getting this uh, adequate or at least average replacement. And it turns out that he's not even, you know, top 15 at his position. Well, I think their O rating would be a lot better with him on the floor if you replace Rubio's minutes with Schroeder's minutes. But he, even still, he can make better passes than Rubio in the pick and roll. I'll say that Rubio is a, uh, I don't his like pick and roll chemistry with Gobert always seems to have been off, but still that's a, that's a lot of money to pay him over the over the next three years. So I, I I can't think of another team that would necessarily want him because you look at the teams that need point guards and there are really very few of them when you're just looking at point guard starting point guard vacancies across the league. And then the teams that do have them, they're kind of like rebuilding. And is Dennis Schroeder, who turns twenty five in September, is he the guy you want at point guard as you begin? Uh, the rebuild and then even in the teams that are in limbo and like they're trying to make the leap to contention and could maybe use an extra punch at point guard does does Detroit want him instead of Reggie Jackson does Denver want him working in uh, conjunction with Jamal Murray as opposed to having Emmanuel Moutier collecting dust I I, I don't know does Phoenix would they want Dennis Schroeder I, I wouldn't think so it, it's really tough to find a spot for him New Orleans instead of Drew Holiday no, you play him with Drew Holiday because he's playing off the ball anyway. Drew's basically playing the two now anyway. That's just I don't even with Rondo. Well, New Orleans just has like nothing good to offer, and even you could get him now. All of a sudden, you have like well, you'd have to take Solomon Hill's contract, which I don't even think Solomon Hill's played this year. But yeah, and you just that, you look, would... but then all of a sudden you have if you're looking at next year with Schroeder on the books and you you resign Boogie, you have a hundred million dollars uh, committed to Boogie Davis. Drew Holiday and Dennis Schroeder, and that's. Just- Can you imagine how much Dennis Schroeder and Demarcus Cousins being on the same team would just piss off so many people? They would be out of control. They would just be out of control. They'd probably piss off each other. 
I don't know. I think that might be the that might be a friendship that I'm into. I mean, I think those two on the same team would be really fun for entertainment purposes. I would yeah. to see it, but I, just like logistically, I don't. I don't think it would work well. Alvin Gentry, that would be the coaching job of the century if he has to manage. Like especially if they brought back Rondo, a locker room with Rondo, Anthony Davis, Demarcus Cousins, and Dennis Schroeder. I'm here for it. I think that's a good way of wrapping up today on the podcast man this i feel like we could just talk basketball for 19 hours at a time but at some point we should probably wrap up and i think that uh it's a good way of ending it before we dive into it unnecessary deep dive of the pelican <laughs> dan uh is there anything you need to that you're working on this week that uh, you'd like to share before we get out of here um no no nothing noteworthy okay well we can find you on twitter at dan favali we can read you at nba math and bleacher report dan It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.